Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It's a Maroon Friday, so even if you aren't wearing the exact colors at this moment, let's get in a Mississippi state of mind in the doghouse here on the Believe Network. Yes, it's a Friday afternoon, which means SEC baseball season opens tonight. Uh, yes, we'll be talking some basketball later, too, during this podcast. What with Ben Howland officially out and the coaching search officially open. We say officially because, well, we all knew it was coming. Check out our Wednesday podcast on the subject with the contract niceties to be taken care of by both parties. More on this in just a bit. First, though, SEC baseball season is finally here. Okay, it began last night in Auburn with a Thursday shootout that looked a whole lot more like a uh, SEC Sunday than it did a uh, opening game of a series. Now, I'm not about to read too much into a single game in mid-March not involving State, but wow. Let's just hope that final score is not an indicator that offense is going to rule the field in 2022. Otherwise, we're in for a lot of long, long weekends this season. Uh, then again, have you checked out the short list of elite pitchers either in the SEC or elsewhere who have already been lost for this season? I'm talking aces. Uh, Mississippi State is in that unhappy number, of course, as ace starter Landon Sims and now top reliever Stone Simmons both had their elbow surgeries this week. Bless their recoveries, and as both are draft eligible, we may have seen them throw their last pitch at Duty Noble Field. Well, okay, both were injured the same weekend at New Orleans, and boy, I'd rather not consider any kind of uh, voodoo notions that Bulldog Bills are being coming due for that national championship run a summer ago. I ah, never mind about that. I just know that Mississippi State now has to revise the rotation, revise the relief operation, and that's a lot of revisions going on for a team that's still trying to figure out an offense at this point. In fact, let's start by talking about offense as Mississippi State goes into the series with Georgia. By the way, game times, uh, 6 o'clock, 1 o'clock, and 11 o'clock Central Time, first and third games on the SEC Network. Offense. Well, Mississippi State is on the short end of the stat sheet in most of those categories if you dare check out the SEC site at this moment. I do it because I'm a professional. I kind of advise you not to. Uh, And frankly... I'm sure most of you strongly suspect where the Bulldogs are going to come in after, uh, what, 18 games in the season. Yes, we knew, or at least believed, that Bulldog batting was going to be a 2022 question. And thus far, the answers have been, do we have answers? Well, not if judging by the season so far. All right, for a few numbers, um, push a pause or maybe silent for about 20 seconds while I run through these if you don't really have a strong stomach at the moment. Mississippi State right now is 13th in SEC batting average ahead of only Texas A&M, if anyone cares. Slugging it on base percentage, 12th in both. No individual diamond dog as of today is in the top 15 for average, for slugging, or for on base rate. True, true. Early season statistics are not definitive, but then these aren't exactly comforting either. And still, there are a couple of numbers that kind of caught my eyes this morning. Somehow, despite those stats I just read you, Mississippi State has the fourth most at-bats of any SEC team and is sixth in RBI. Yeah, I say RBI. Get over it. You're going to say RBIs. Have fun. 
how do you square that with the averages? An outsider can't, but we who've been watching this team can, kind of. You know, Chris Lamonis and Jake Gautreaux have spent four weeks shuffling their batting orders, meaning patching together all sorts of lineups in search of a combination able to get on base and score some runs, even if this comes at the expense of defense. And by the way, it isn't. Okay, there were some spectacular mistakes in the Tulane series defensively, but did you realize, and I didn't until I looked at it today, Mississippi State has been charged with just seven official errors in 18 games. I don't care what your home team scorer is like in this, and that's been a sore subject at Tudinable Field for quite a long time, no matter who's in charge of the scorebook. Still, seven official errors in 18 games? That is by far the fewest in the SEC. By contrast, LSU has already booted 29 balls officially on the season. So for all the lineup changes that have been cobbled together to put together some sort of different and hopefully productive batting order, the defense hasn't suffered. Go figure. And go figure some more about Bulldog pitching. Uh, They're near the bottom of the SEC in earn run average, in hits allowed, and dead last in home runs allowed, which is not an uncomfortable stat at all, especially going to a Georgia field where balls have been known to leave the yard with pretty good regularity. And yet somehow, Mississippi State, again, is leading the whole league in striking out batters. Now, I suppose if you want to overview it from, uh, say, the 10,000-foot view, or maybe the press box view, which isn't quite that high in most cases, but still up there watching from above, this kind of signals almost an all-or-nothing sort of approach for Scott Foxhall's revamped rotation and release staff. So either they're sending a guy down with a strikeout, or they're giving up a base hit, or too often a home run, a double. It's it's There's not a whole lot in between, to put it honestly. And maybe that also factors into why there's only been seven errors, because there aren't quite as many balls being put into play on the infield for defensive chances. That's just one way of looking at it. Now, numbers can be twisted to mean anything, and boy, in my career have I spent a lot of time twisting some numbers, especially about baseball. But it comes down to the fact simply that this team's a mystery. There is so much a mystery about this Mississippi State squad as ACC season opens. So so many of the numbers just don't square with each other, and sometimes you can relate that to the quality of competition. Sometimes you can relate it to just who's hot, who's not. I think more than anything, it just simply reflects what I've already mentioned. Lamonis, Gotro, and Foxhall are patching things together, not just week to week, but practically game to game, sometimes inning by inning, First, in search of offense, but second, trying to figure out that rotation, which now has been set for the weekend, uh, partly by who's performing and partly by, bluntly, who is not available anymore. It's going to be Preston Johnson uh, and um, then Parker Stinnett and Cade Smith going this weekend. Uh, I find it a little interesting they're saving Cade Smith, who's been so effective Ideally, you would probably try to use the old Pat McMahon approach and put him in game two, which is always the pivotal game of a series, whether you're going to win it or even clinch it. At the same time, there's a comforting factor having Smith on Sunday because you know at the back end you've got somebody who's proven consistent. And frankly, they've seen enough from Stinnett the last couple of weeks that they think he's got the stuff. Well, we know he's got the stuff. It's just can he execute it on the SEC stage 
in the middle game, which again is that pivotal one. Preston Johnson, a good security blanket, and frankly, coming into the season, we all thought he'd be in the rotation. was kind of surprised he wasn't to begin the year, but that also has to do with the fact that K.C. Hunt has been out for quite a while. don't have any exact health update on him as well at this point, but if you can get Hunt back, then maybe you start mixing those things around a little bit more. At the moment, this is what the rotation, again, all right-handers that are going to be thrown together. I like the rotation. Uh, is is it a slam dunk bunch out there? No, but I think they're certainly competitive in SEC stage, and they've got the durability to go out there and give you a lot of innings, which is absolutely vital because, frankly, the execution has just not been consistent by the bullpen. That's not telling tales out of school. It's It frustrates them. It frustrates their coaches as well. Just who who do you call on at this point, especially now with Simmons out? And that may long-term be as much of a loss as Landon Sims because Simmons was so reliable coming into that situation. You, you fall back on the usual names, the Brandon Smiths, uh, Cam Tuller, and others, but some guys have just got to step up now and be ready to come out there and not simply eat up some innings, which is what the starters are supposed to do. They've got to come in there and just shut down the other team. They've got to keep runs off the board because State, in its offensive situation right now, simply is not in a position to play catch-up, certainly not in late games. They've got the bats to do it, but stringing them together right time, right place, that's where they, the pitching has got to give the offense some margin to work with. Yes, it ideally works the other way around, and maybe long-term it will for this offense as well. You like so many of the pieces. Kellen Clark has heated up lately. You know up at the top of the order, uh, depending on who they run out there first, whether they decide to put Cameron James back in the leadoff spot or leave him number two, do you lead off with Luke Hancock? You got a Logan Tanner in there and Hunter Hines, who's going to have his ups and downs. I'll warn you. <laughs> There's going to be ups and downs to this kid, but the upside is so tremendous on him. You know every SEC pitcher's out there thinking, I've got to get past these guys, Clark, Logan Tanner, Hancock, and then I've got to face this kid who can mash a ball into the next county if I make a single mistake. If Brad Cumbest and those guys can start delivering in the middle of the order as well and just get anything at all out of the tail end of the order. And, and again, that's what makes the RBI stats a little mysterious to me because states struggled to get people on base at the end of the order, and yet here you have the top four or five and they're driving in runs. Maybe they're driving in each other more often than not, but it just reminds them that if you can get something going at the tail end of the order, Work your way on base. And State has been good at getting on base by walks and plunkings. That has kind of padded the on-base average a little bit. You'd rather them hit their way on, but you know what? I'll take a walk anytime as much as a base hit for this simple, obvious reason that if your seven, eight, nine guy walks, that means the other pitcher had to throw a bunch of pitches right there, is going to get frustrated, and now he's coming up against the top of the order with a little bit more wear and tear on the arm everything in baseball just plays together. It's still, again, as I said, such a mystery about this team. Maybe we find some answers this weekend, and maybe we don't. I refuse to make any single weekend, especially in March, a sure signal of what a season portends, particularly after what we've seen in recent seasons from Mississippi State. 
Uh, we have the extreme of the 2018 season, but even last year's national championship squad had their ups and downs in March and April, and you know how that season played out as well. But frankly, winning this opening series would be a long, strong step back in the right direction. By the way, the NCAA has finally gotten around to publishing their baseball RPIs. Yes, our good friends uh, Warren Nolan and Boyd do their own RPI and generally match pretty closely, but I wait for the NCAA to come out with their numbers simply because those are the numbers that are used to determine your seedings, your NCAA status as far as getting a bid even, never mind hosting. Well, right now, it's not a comfortable number. Mississippi State is number 178. That is a long, long, long way outside hosting range. In fact, it's probably well outside even getting a bid range, but that's worth nothing today. Georgia, they're number two. I was surprised by that. I knew Georgia had a good record, 14-3, and um, but number two, and very ironically, they're right behind number one, Georgia Tech, which took two of three a couple of weeks ago from Georgia. Oh, by the way, looking ahead to next weekend, Alabama's at number 58. Again, for whatever that's worth. State needs to win this weekend. I'm not saying anything you don't know, that they don't know, that Georgia doesn't know. Mississippi State needs to come out of this weekend with a winning SEC record. More to the point, they need to come out with some confidence that they can hit the ball, that they can hit SEC pitching, that they can get SEC batters out, play the defense, do it on the road. Again, weather may be a little iffy today, but I refuse to get wrapped up in forecast because that is a sure path to insanity. And I'm still going to have all my makings tonight for uh, tacos or nachos. I think it's a very good evening to do that while following the dogs from a little distance here. Oh, by the way, another irony about this weekend, perhaps, um, I'm going to be talking soon with an ESPN crew about Mississippi State's 2021 National Championship season and how it was long in the making. And one item I plan to bring up is the SEC building boom, which began back in the mid-1980s with real baseball stadiums constructed in this league. Yes, kids, there was a time when every SEC team, including Mississippi State, had raw wooden bleachers, maybe the semblance of a grandstand somewhere, and baseball was just, you know, if people show up, great. If not, we don't care. Well, Mississippi State always cared and proved it in 1987 by building the previous venue, but at the same time, Georgia was also building a ground-up modern stadium. Bulldogs and Bulldogs, if you will, made the first major investments in baseball facilities in the SEC. And perhaps that's how Georgia became, if you don't remember, the first SEC program to win a College World Series title in 1990. Yes, Mississippi State was there in 90. It was not fun to watch Georgia in the same bracket eliminate the Bulldogs, but uh, congratulations to that old team there. And SEC baseball in the decades since has pretty much dominated the sport. It obviously took Mississippi State a little, little longer to get its championship. That's fine. I'm wearing my championship shirt right now while recording this show and making plans for this evening to watch me some Diamond Dog Baseball. Now, what about Bulldog Basketball? While the baseball team is on the road, John Cohen is quite likely on his phone much of this day. No time was wasted making it official that Ben Howland will be leaving. Mississippi State made that call less than 24 hours after the first round NIT loss at Virginia. This was not a rush decision, of course. 
Mississippi State had made the call weeks ago. As soon as the Bulldogs were not officially, but everybody knew that without an SEC tournament run, they were not going to get an NCAA tournament bid, then the decision was made behind the scenes because that was always an absolute baseline for 2022. Ben Howland's seventh team had to make the big dance for him to get another year. In fact, I suspect that even a berth in the NCAA tournament this year was not going to be enough to earn him an eighth year simply because the program stalled. There's no other way to put it. It stalled the last couple of seasons. Now, it stalled in a far, far better place, to be sure and to be fair. We talked about it Wednesday night in our podcast after the Bulldogs were eliminated and ended their season, how Ben Howland deserves thanks for rebuilding the program to a degree of competitiveness we haven't seen in over a decade. He wanted another year. Let's be clear about that. He wouldn't come out and actually lobby for it, but he gently implied that he would certainly like another season, especially if he could keep most of this team coming back, with the obvious exception of Garrison Brooks will be moving along. Well, as much as he wanted it, State won't, more frankly, can't give him that other year. So now Ben Highland, the, um, the degree of separation has been worked out, all the niceties with the contract. And he'll be moving back to California, we assume. Perhaps he gets another job coaching out there. There are some openings. And we wouldn't, you know, be at all averse to uh, kind of following him because he's a good man. We'd like to see him succeed. And we certainly appreciate the job he did building State from an absolute wreckage situation. However, Mississippi State needs to move on and is moving on. Now, there have been some out there, particularly on our message boards, who have been uh, fuming about quote, delaying this long to announce a change. Like it's going to put Mississippi State behind some sort of hiring curve. Don't be silly. The coaches Mississippi State appears to be pursuing the most, and they're kind of busy at the moment with their own NCAA tournament business, and they were not about to interrupt preparations, much less insult their teams, by openly talking to Mississippi State about the open job or the presumably soon-coming open job. Behind the scenes... Now, that's where the business has been done, and that's just the way it works these days. Mississippi State, through its own representatives, has been speaking with the agents, the reps of various coaches about who'd be interested, who'd be not interested, what it will take to get someone interested. Now it all can move out in the open as some seasons come to ends and candidates consider this job and frankly, other jobs. I know that's what aggravates some fans out there saying, well, if Mississippi State had already made the hire, then there's no chance that some of these other open jobs may steal them. Again, you're barking up the wrong track. State could not, the, the guys that State are after could not make that kind of decision so quickly because their own seasons were still underway. Here's another point about that. This is a competition because Mississippi State is after the hot coaches this time. State is not looking for an assistant with no head coaching resume to take over a program that's platlined. It's not looking for another end-of-career guy wanting just one more job and paycheck. This approach comes with risk for sure, but it is the only way Mississippi State has to take that next step in basketball that it is in position to take. State has a job worth weighing. The salary is going to be competitive in the SEC and on the national scene. Humphrey Coliseum, as we've spoken many times, is being renovated again to the tune of at least $55 million. I, 
I think originally it was going to be closer to 70 million, but there were some revisions forced by materials and other reasons, and the IHL had to re-sign a second contract. Regardless, once you get up into that range of money, it really doesn't matter except to those actually signing the checks. What it proves to coaching candidates out there is the program still matters to the major donors who have made this project possible. Okay, so the seats in Humphrey Coliseum haven't been used too much in recent seasons by many of those boosters. Those seats are still sold. The money is still coming in. This means that those fans, as well as your student fans, your general fans who can't get the prime seats, who would love them, but are also settling for the seats they can get, they're ready to return given the right incentive. It's up to the athletic department and the university administration together, repeat, together to provide that incentive in the form of an energetic, nay, an aggressive coach to literally pick up the pace from his predecessor. That's not meant so much as a shot at Howland, just a reminder that his deliberate style of offense and defense, uh, it was able to rebuild a program, it wasn't able to get State into the postseason regularly, and it certainly wasn't a lot to excite the fans. Anyway, whoever is going to be hired now, his job is to speed things up on offense, play more aggressively on defense, and just make Humphrey Coliseum fun and electric again. I'm going to leave a rundown of the popular candidates. There's certainly three well-known leaders as far as we can determine at jeanspage.com. My cohorts, uh, Steve and Paul, will be taking care of this. But I like the people I've, I've seen listed. I've read their resumes. I think I could be satisfied with just about any of them. There's no perfect candidate out there because Mississippi State is not a perfect job. Then again, what is? Hey, isn't the most perfect job of all the one up in bluegrass country? And while I don't watch the NCAA tournament unless Mississippi State's involved, which means I've watched the Liberty game and then I guess back to 2009, I don't care about March Madness. I'll watch any bowl game. I'll watch the NCAA baseball tournament. I don't care about the basketball tournament unless Mississippi State's involved. Well, the new coach's job is to get Mississippi State involved and get me back watching, even better, covering NCAA tournament play. But we'll be keeping track, obviously, of scores from what's happening with some of these candidates. And as a reminder, that ideal school, they just got knocked off by a team named after a saint. It, that's what college basketball has turned into. And by the way, maybe parenthetically I could say, maybe it says something that SEC wasn't quite as strong as they thought they were. Yeah, maybe not. Or maybe so. Basketball is such a weird game at this stage. It, who's, who shows up to play? Who wants to play? These early rounds can be entertaining in that regard. Me, I'd rather watch the Diamond Dogs, which is what I'll be tuned in tonight. Kathy's headed down to Florida for the weekend to visit family, so I'm thinking it'll be a good weekend to whip up some nachos or tacos for my supper because, hey, whatever the scores, it's SEC baseball season again at last, and that's the spice of our springtime lives. Well, anyway, that's our Fast Friday edition of The Doghouse, covering a few bases and a little bit of hardwood news there. Uh, we hope that you've enjoyed today's podcast. Uh, we're looking for ways to expand it. Suggestions are always welcome on jeanspage.com. Keep an eye on what's happening there. Uh, this past week also, I wrote my uh, second series in the all-decade Diamond Dog teams, this time the 1990s, and I'm grateful for the feedback from fans who told me that they agreed with me or that they suggested others 
or that frankly, I was just an idiot for not putting this person here and uh, leaving this guy off there. I'm fine with it all because if there's anything worth arguing about, it's Bulldog baseball history. And now let's see if the 2022 team can start making their own history this evening, starting in Athens. For now, this is your host, David Murray, on the Doghouse here on the Believe Network. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.